0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Apply Club Events, hosted by IASA's Applied Anthropology Network. Today we have the pleasure of listening to Maria Curie, partner at RED Associates, with the topic, our relationship with algorithms. We hope you're going to enjoy this episode, and please don't forget to follow us on our diverse channels like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Slack, and more, which you can find in the show notes.
1: Thank you. Um, Yes, thanks for joining. Um, And the first thing I kind of want to say to kick things off is um, the reflections that I'm sharing here are not just from me. uh, They come from um, all of the work of my brilliant colleagues um, who have been studying um, tech in various ways, shapes, and forms over the past several years. And yes, as as Marcus mentioned, um, I'm part of Red Associates, um, and the type of work that we do is we help leaders create original strategies for the social worlds of tomorrow. Um, So we do this basically by spending time with people in their everyday lives. Um, We, uh, you know, observe them in their homes, in their communities, um, and we, uh, you know, we we try to come back with uh, something to say that really um, challenges and, and illuminates For the companies that we work with, um, how to understand people better. Um, And as part of this, we've been making some observations um, about people uh, again and again in our tech studies. And we want to use this forum to share these observations and and also to get your take. Um, I think part of the draw of these um, impulse talks is that they are, um, you know, they they do hopefully spark conversation. And these are, in some ways, early observations that we've been making, um, and they raise a lot of questions. um, many of which we don't have the answer to. And so I'm hoping that uh, through the discussions, I'll also take lots of notes um, and get your thoughts on this. So let's first take a wide angle look, uh, you know, uh, on, on what we're exploring here, which is um, that we've been observing in our tech practice, uh, you know, over the years that, that people are um, building relationships with uh, algorithms. And what does that mean? So um, for better or worse, uh, you know, algorithms uh, shape our world, even as we shape them, right? Um, They influence who gets hired, what temperature uh, our office buildings are set to, maybe that was more relevant before COVID, but um, they help us to detect and mitigate COVID. Um, They inform how brands track consumer habits. Um, Algorithms shape our preferences, but we also shape them. And algorithms are opaque. Um, That's how it's sort of being described, uh, increasingly so. Um, We we can't really see into them. Um, We can't really understand how they're made. And this is drawing scrutiny from many different directions in society. So, um, you know, data scientists, ethicists, social scientists, theorists, policymakers, all are describing the the key issues and and trying to propose um, potential solutions, right? Um, So there's a lack of transparency uh, that makes accountability and um, assessment of algorithms really difficult. We can't really um, easily examine or replicate what an algorithm is doing. Um, you know, auditing or having some kind of external review is is infrequent. It's super specialized and it's hard to do. Uh, there are also all kinds of hidden biases that can perpetuate inequalities and injustices. Um, you know, for example, when Apple launched its uh, credit card, women were offered lower credit lines than men. So there's, there's you know, you'll find numerous examples like that out there. Um, and then there are, of course, unhealthy effects to algorithms. They can be purposefully addictive. Um, they can expose us to content that is inflammatory, offensive, false. Um, they can make us feel like, you know, our agency isn't quite there. Um, what we do, and they can reduce how productive we feel. Maybe we feel more distracted. Um, And so we talk about proposed solutions. We talk about having stronger regulations around tech companies, uh, mandates for more transparency into how algorithms work, um, what they prioritize, their results, um, and increasingly, experts are talking about the importance of better data to train those algorithms at the beginning um, and more transparency for users in the experiences of the products, platforms, um, or services uh, that these algorithms are, are fueling. And so overall, there's there's a lot of discussion that's happening, you know, at the societal level and what I want to do kind of in this conversation is look at what are the observations about people. Um, What are are we starting to observe among people who are using tech in daily life today Um, and we're observing uh, awareness curiosity um, and relationships to algorithms starting to emerge. And so I kind of you know want to spend this the session really unpacking those three. So if we start first with um, awareness. So people are increasingly aware um, of content generating algorithms. So um, you know this is a, an example that's very similar to ones that we uh, would encounter in the field, right? Um, so we we've had participants say things like um, you know. Pinterest's ideas for me section um, is showing me recipes, but I don't really cook, I guess it's the algorithm. Um, it's choosing to show me things. Maybe it's uh, because I selected restaurants and I wanted to see more restaurants. Um, this is sort of a composite of different things that we've heard in the field. So we, it's, it comes up kind of naturally in conversations and, and in observations when we're not really, um, you know, even bringing up the topic of algorithms per se. And so what we see is people building a vocabulary around algorithms. Um, we, we hear things like, well, it's recommending based on what I like. It knows who I'm connected to. It's learning. Um, I don't know how it works, but, or my choices are giving it input. Um, you know, people seem to be kind of, waking up to algorithms um, across several studies over the past few years we see new metaphors new ways of describing how the apps and platforms work whether they're accurate or not it, it's coming up in discussions um, and we see this qualitatively at least um, across you know different age groups different levels of, of tech literacy it's not with everyone um, i you know by no means is this something that we see across the board but it's something that we see like a, an early signal of um and and People are often aware um, that, that the content that they're encountering is, is algorithmically generated when it surfaces. Um, they're sometimes aware of the negative consequences like misinformation, addictive content. Um, and also oftentimes they, they note how much they actually like what they see too, that it that it's accurate or that it's funny and interesting. Um, and you know, if we think about early discussions around algorithms in society several years ago, you know, centered around how it's creating filter bubbles and narrowing the, the content that we see. Um, and then it kind of became a lot around how algorithms are going to be running our world um, and how scary that is. And it's not to say that those two discussions um, have fallen by the wayside. If anything, it's the opposite. We're talking about those things more and more, but also do we now potentially see signs of the conversation shifting to how do we actually live with algorithms, given that they um, kind of are are so integral to our world. Um, And how is this um, increased vocabulary that people have around algorithms, how is it going to change the expectations and the experiences that people seek from tech and and from social media? So that's sort of about the the awareness that we see, right? Um, But we we see things going a step further into a genuine curiosity. And what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, people are curious about how algorithms work. Um, So we hear things similar to something like, you know, my explore page must know that I'm a dancer because all the choreographers, because of all the choreographers that I follow, Um, it's also giving me fashion week images, probably because of all the outfit photos I like. Um, I don't get any dance stuff on Twitter, probably because I don't follow anyone, you know, on there. I haven't used it for years, Um, and what we see in that is people are noticing patterns, right? Um, they're coming up with their own logics for how these algorithms work. They, they have ideas about it. And when it's unclear how the algorithms work, people actually fill in the gaps with oftentimes like unfavorable perceptions of the platforms and the services that they're using. So it'll be things like, you know, it's scary, creepy, evil, you know, more so, uh, than I think to to be given credit for. Um, Oftentimes people think that the algorithm is a lot smarter than it actually is. Um, And so people actually feel a bit disappointed, like, oh, it really didn't get me right at all. Or, um, you know, that's, that's not what I like, um, or it can be really confusing and disorienting um, to actually be on a platform or, um, you know, be using a product or a service It actually not being able to understand how the algorithm works. We see can sometimes make the experience really difficult and make the tech really difficult to use. So, you know people's perceptions of how algorithms work may be shaping their expected experiences and their perception of value on a given platform or on a technology. Um, you know, for example, this we, we've seen this again and again in our field work that um, people expect TikTok recommendations to be kind of random, um, you know, not actually random because then it's really accurate in the in the breadth of what you like Um, but there's a sort of expectation that randomness is built in and that's exciting and fun um, and that's less so the case on other platforms Um, and so what this means if we think about it is changing how people perceive the value of a given platform or technology um, may actually require um, changing or helping people you know build from from the from the ground up, their perceptions of how it works, of how the algorithm works. And this runs counter to much of the tech industry default assumption, which is that people want frictionless, automated, magical experiences that delight. And then so that leads to kind of the the third part of these observations, which is around relationships. So um, what does it mean when people are aware that there's an algorithm working behind the scenes? Does it change and turn people's behaviors? Um, How much of this awareness um, can actually help people have more agency and control, if at all? Um, and, And so is all of this becoming actually quite relational? And so, like, what do I mean by relational? So um, people are starting to perceive of the algorithm as dynamic and, and alive. Um, they want it to work for them. So, you know, algorithms assume people are passive, but we see that they're actually being much more intentional. So um we, you know, we hear and, and we observe. Pattern, you know uh, behaviors like, oh, I want it to help me build uh, this habit around or, or keep me connected or help me learn, show me more of, help me to remember. Um, people are seeking uh, to make the algorithms work for them, um, to exercise agency in a system that is meant to really automate experiences. So there's an interesting tension, I think that's that's starting to emerge. So, you know, but, but the tools at their disposal um, for kind of uh, having more of a role and shaping this algorithm that feels dynamic and alive, um, those tools are either hard to find on you know, a, a technology or a platform, um, or uh, they feel really finite. Um, like what you're doing will have permanent implications for like your whole experience of um, the product or the service rather than being um, flexible and something that you can experiment and sort of play around with. So um, we see people taking matters into their own hands. Um, we, we see a lot of... Uh, Different behaviors, big and small, um, around people trying to hack these algorithms. So, you know, uh, for example, um, you know, using generic or completely unrelated hashtags to something that they're posting uh, on a social media platform to boost how discoverable it is and, and how um, how many new uh, likes or followers they might get. Um, we see that's from like a content production standpoint, from a content consumption point of view, um, people will sometimes withhold their, their likes or who they follow um, to keep interests separate across platforms. So saying, well, you know, I'm I'm gonna make uh Instagram only for crafting. So I'm not gonna like anything related to, um, you know, the sports that I watch, because I want to keep those things separate. Like people are starting to kind of tailor their platforms in those ways. Um, providing advice to others on how to understand and tailor feeds. Um, So there's a a, a trend right now amongst creators who, you know, are basically posting things like, if you see my content on your feed, here's what it means about, you know, uh, you or, you know, how uh, the platform thinks about you, right? Um, Muting or unfollowing content, um, you know, using the tools that are available, um, you know, indicative liking um, or viewing videos, uh, you know, more often than you typically would to try to quote unquote train the algorithm to learn more about you um, you know, or trying to even just give direct feedback when the option is available. Again, this isn't everyone that's doing this, but it's a behavior that's coming up more and more in our studies. And when people can't find ways to hack into the algorithms, we we see that sometimes they actually consider breaking from them. So you know, doing things like uh, just taking a break, from technology, just having a detox or um, actually swapping out, um, you know, uh, automatically generated um, content curation for something that's um, more uh, with human input. So like, a, um, you know, uh, curated feeds um, or um, expert generated uh, sort of newsletter content, things like that. And we hear people expressing ways that the relationship with the algorithm maybe isn't working, Um, you know, for example, uh, you know feeling a lack of trust. um, People being unsure like what is this information that's being used to even have this content be suggested to me like you know where did that content come from I don't remember having you know. Indicated that I liked this at all on this platform, but I liked it on a different platform that I didn't realize were speaking to one another. Uh, Breaches of trust, right? Um, You know, doubting the intentions of those who are building the algorithms, um, or perceiving that there's, you know, that actually, uh, you know, this platform or this service is really doesn't understand my local context, or um, or the the language that I speak, um, or something that's particular to uh, To who I am, right? Um, Or to the communities that I'm part of, that it wasn't built with that community in mind, a lack of trust in that sense. Um, You know, people also describe the relationship isn't working in terms of it being a bad influence on them. So, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's causing me to spend too much time or too much money on things that are recommended to me. Um, I'm wasting time that I could have uh, spent more intentionally um, with more focus, or I'm being exposed to toxic content um, or really angry, stressful people online that I, I didn't really expect to. Um, and sometimes we also hear uh, the relationship not working in terms of, uh, if, of the algorithm being stuck in the past. Like, you know, it's tied to an old version of me. Um, it's not aware that I actually wanna change. I don't wanna like these things anymore. I've now switched from, you know, one interest area to another. Um, or it's exposing an aspect of myself to a context that I didn't intend. This content was not meant to be shared um, or, you know, it's it's accessible to people that I didn't think it would be accessible to. Um, but all of these um, issues are relational ones. It's almost as if it's two people, someone, you know, where the issue is trust or the issue is bad influence or the issue is, you know, being stuck in the past. And, you know, the the expectations might be different depending on the type of relationship that the algorithm is building with the user, right? Um, you know, perhaps uh, whether it's, you know, daily assistance or entertainment generating content or social media connection, like that the purpose of the algorithm from a user experience point of view, um, implies a different relationship. Um, So for recommendation engines uh, related to entertainment content, for example, is the relationship supposed to be defined by uh, comfort or discovery or kind of expansion of the self? And those are very different expectations than let's say what you would want out of um, algorithms that are meant to provide kind of digital assistance to you throughout your day. And in fact, we have seen that, you know, um, in studies that are about digital assistance, um, that uh, the expectations are quite distinct. For example, people want uh, and value digital assistance, uh, digital assistance um, that know kind of their mindset and their the environment that they're in and how that's going to shape what they need in the moment um, they value when. That daily assistance can extend their knowledge or capabilities in a moment of need. That that's the most valued type of intervention. Um, that you know that service or that. Uh, yeah, that technology can provide to them. Um, or, you know, they really value when digital assistants demonstrate things like social skills, discretion, trustworthiness, being able to kind of reference where the information is coming from that they're being given, um, and that there's value also in um, digital assistants, uh, removing distractions, not just constantly surfing, surfacing content. Um, and so those expectations are quite unique to the algorithms that are uh, you know, fueling digital assistance devices, but is that going to be the same uh, set of expectations for other types of algorithms doing other things for people? So, this uh, all of this is to say, you know, maybe algorithms are social. So, the big challenge question that we land on is can people create productive two way relationships with content generating algorithms? And I think a number of questions emerge from that, right? Um, things like questions like what types of experiences would give people more control actually? Um what would it mean if or when, you know, some services or platforms actually promise to offer this? Uh, Is this something that people would be receptive to, that they would believe? What would it need to have? And then what inequalities may actually emerge in having access to algorithms that work in the service of users if those do come about? Um, Will it actually perpetuate, um, you know, big differences and, and inequalities in who can access And I want to leave us um, also with considering what applied researchers can or should do. Um, And that being a kind of series of questions embedded in in this bigger question. um, You know, applied researchers can, uh, for starters, uh, study the relationships of individuals and algorithms rather than just studying the individuals themselves and actually note how those relationships over time. Um, Maybe applied researchers can advocate for the importance of making making sure that there's good data and well thought out, really rigorous processes for how these algorithms are built and monitored, and maybe they're actually built back by human science and by a social science approach, right? Um, and then I think it's a, an open question, You know, should we determine our stance? Um, how do we want organizations to act on these emerging behaviors that we see um, amongst tech users out there? Is there a business case for actually having more agency and control? So, um, those are a lot of questions that we can unpack in the breakout groups. Um, and I can land it on the um, challenge question. But, um, you know, yes, basically, uh, I'd like to open it now to discussions and, and to get your thoughts as well.
2: All right, Maria. Thank you so much for an amazing talk. Um, really inspiring. Lots of questions that pop up in our minds, I think. Uh, also, challenging questions that I think are sometimes hard to grasp, maybe. Um, So yeah, so what happens next? So now I'm opening the the breakout rooms where we can discuss those questions. Um, Usually some people drop out now, um, which is totally fine. But for all of you that are still interested in discussing them and then also having the Q&A with Maria and discussing all those inputs with Maria, uh, please stay on the line and I will just open the breakout rooms right away. Um, Should we say, let's start with 15 minutes or 10 minutes, something like that. And um, yes, I will send the questions in the chat in a second, exactly. Um, I will send them I will uh, in each breakout room, okay? So I think we will have about four breakout rooms. I sign automatically. Okay, starting now. And uh, Maria, you can, of course, join one of the breakout rooms. If you want, you can also jump through or you just stay in the call uh, and take a break. Up to you.
1: And how do I cycle through between the breakout rooms?
2: Um, I can always um, uh, um, push you there. How to say that better. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> OK, I, I can, can assign in- you.
2: Yeah, I can assign yeah. you. <laughs>
1: would it be helpful if i uh type in the the challenge question here in the main chat so that you have it as well
2: <laughs> yes that would be awesome because i just took screenshots yeah yeah um, i'll do
1: i'll do it right now actually but I that would that be first. great
2: and then um just post them and i can uh, post and broadcast them to the message uh, to all of okay. the breakout rooms okay
3: yeah i'm just typing
2: here we'll just broadcast the main message at the start
1: So I typed out the main one in the chat and mm-hmm. I will... Um, hi, hi, Carolyn. Hi, Ed. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys.
0: <laughs> I love that, Maria. That is so interesting. I'm, I'm not joining a breakout room because I'm working on the side. I'm
1: really glad you joined. I love that.
0: Who knew algorithms could be so interesting in that way?
4: The most brains in the room, I guess. Hey, guys.
2: Okay, I just started the recording again so nobody else hears it. And then let's close the rooms. How
3: how were the discussions for you that you joined?
1: They were really great. Super thought-provoking. Um, each group was sort of tackling things from a different angle. So I've been taking notes.
2: Cool. And did you, I mean, were the questions and the, the insights that you showed today and so on, were they part uh, or based on on the, the work that you have been doing also in that field for the last years and so on?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's informed from observations that we've seen in field work um, across okay. projects, basically. Yeah. And then also how we've been yeah, talking about and, and thinking about those observations um, in our work,
2: yeah. OK, cool. I think I will ask you the same question in a second so that the rest also hears about it. I think it's interesting to hear.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. And let's just wait until everybody's back. And then every group can give a give a big, a big quick um, summary. And then you will see that we will enter a, a natural discussion, if we want to or not. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see who we're waiting for.
3: Are we, I think we are all back now. Seems like. Hmm. Yeah,
2: seems like. Okay, cool. Then let's just go through each group, and uh, one or two, or your whole group, should uh, try to summarize your discussion in, let's say, two to three minutes, and then we can take it from there. Who's willing to, to start from group number one?
3: Breakout room number one. Do you come guys back know? Abaka, do you
5: want to go? I know I am. Uh, I was in group one.
3: I, I didn't
6: have... realize that we had a yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can, uh, I can talk about our of our thing if that's like democratically okay with my group.
0: Yeah, um, that's fine for me.
6: And then
3: uh, I, I, I can step up. Yeah.
6: Uh, we did not follow your question prompt, so. That was like our own beer of the data set. So we will not lead to better data. We will be an Outlier. Um, we talked um, a lot about, I, I would say that uh, Laura brought up some really good like uh, critique um, um, narratives around the use of algorithms. And like, how are we actually able to like trust, maintain, do they do what they wanna do? Do they not do what they wanted to do? And so we had a kind of larger conversation for a while about where they wh- where they are right now, where they could go, the positive or negative out- attributes, like how you have autonomy, how you don't have autonomy with them. Um, so I think that we were talking a lot about like your discussion points of what people were thinking or feeling, but then coming in from it from our own angles. So I think we were actually maybe a continuation of your slideshow, um, like maybe we're just adding to that. Yeah. Uh,
3: so.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my contribution. No, perfect. Yeah, because I think uh, there's some important things when we look to the algorithms that I don't think users still have this agency. Uh, I think this is still very, um, I don't know, niche in a way. Uh, I I still think that this is so abstract and and there are so many biases when we look into the algorithms. (laughs) And and we take some things as normal when, when they are actually not. And this is because, uh, well, I think there's deep questions regarding fake news, uh, race, and, and here we are, most of us white, but yeah. So yeah, I yeah, think, I think some-, deep, some deep questions regarding that. Yeah, our group talked
6: a lot about racial um, biases within algorithms as well that are brought up too. So that's important. Like we talked about what are the different biases that are not covered in a language that is one way or targeted Since algorithms have to be written in a specific format. And so like, how does that impact a larger situation and people?
1: One thing I thought was very interesting in in your group discussion was, um, you know, this question of, control, there's, there's actual control and agency, and then there's just the experience of it, right? Like, oh, I feel like I have more control because I'm, I'm allowing myself to give input, but actually that's not really true or genuine. And is that going to be something that people are going to be more perceptive of? And, you know, if we do like a thought experiment of what happens if a service does come up that actually does offer that to people that says, "Well, I, you know, I can provide the algorithm that is working for you on your behalf, but that's, but, but it's really expensive, right? Or, but it's, you know, it's diff- Yeah, there might be all sorts of but or what ifs from that, but it's, but it's possible. And then, how will other um, potential companies or um, services react to that, right?
2: Yeah, very interesting. Um... So all the biases and critical issues around algorithms, which are also complex to understand, and as you pointed out in your group, also very systemic often, right? Um, All right, let's move on to group number two. Um, That would be Alma, Benedict, Erica, uh, Gayatri, and Sara.
3: Who wants to jump on it?
7: We we can start, but then I asked for for our crew to <laughs> fill out the blanks. Uh, but we were we were kind of we had a very very uh, long discussion uh, and very kind of varied uh, and kind of the core core argument was I think we all agreed that it's like very kind of like uh, the relationship that you have with an algorithmic product is depending on what algorithmic product are we talking about. So for example, with Siri or Google Home or or Spotify, you have completely different expectations. And those expectations also set out the rules for the kind of social aspects and the relationship you can have with the algorithmic product. Um, we were talking about how the social should be defined uh, with with the with the relationship with the algorithmic product uh, and how that Kind of like could be thought through uh, a normal social encounter or relationship. Like, how would you compare it into a kind of normal social uh, situation or social relationship? And um, uh, when we talked about that, we talked about trust. So, so, maybe there's like aspects of trust that could be measured and are kind of like important in, in the relationship. And, and one of us, um, one of the group members pointed out that. Uh, if you have like a pattern of kind of, you can trust the system to give you that kind of content that you're kind of expecting it to give you. Then it's kind of trustworthy. Uh, but there's also can be other other aspects as well. So yeah. Um, well done. Well done. <laughs> <Okay>. Any comments? <laughs> Did we miss something?
4: yeah maybe i just thank you by the way for taking we were discussing if finland is taking the lead or not but um i think one point was really interesting that came up how like home like siri or google home for example how they are more or less social depending actually on like the setup meaning like if you're a single person at at home right and using google home how this creates might or might lead to like a social connection in a very different way than when you are a larger family where you actually just use google home as like the assistant as like a servant so to say keeping keeping google home out of the bedroom for example right basically introducing a very clear hierarchy into your family structure i thought this was this was a really interesting comment yeah and then I, I I brought up this point where I said somehow I feel a lot of these algorithms are like these si- designed like silent butlers eh, or right these creatures that are apparently super smart and they do they serve us and I in some way that's not very social right like being being a really good helper is actually to agree on oh you give me this piece of information about you and that's why I give you a better service or a better advice or better help in return, and I think this is what we don't see happening with algorithms very much right now and I wonder why well, would be very excited to see this happening much more in the future.
2: Mm-hmm. Anyone else who wants to follow up on this, I feel ah, there's a raised I oh, know that was my hand. <laughs> confused myself. Um, <laughs> Maria do you want to say anything around that topic.
1: I was going to, but then the, the group just spoke about it so so beautifully that I was mostly just taking notes. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the question of do genuine, um, you know, two way relationship algorithms between algorithms and users actually exist today is, is um, a question, um, Benedict, that you posed in, in the discussion and it's it's interesting to think through because what would that even really look like? Like, what does it need to have in order for it to really feel that way? Um, yeah.
6: Interesting. I think mm-hmm. if I can ask a question about that, um, wouldn't like a proper like two-way relationship which when I'm thinking about it two-way, it's like maybe mm-hmm. uh, like a linear parallel experience where it's going the same way, but that would be on the same level, mm-hmm. which to me, when I think about it, would have the same amount of power mm-hmm. or presence or knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we know that's just not true. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Uh,
6: and we know, if anything, while that might be true, not might, while that is true mm-hmm. for some people who have that knowledge ability or um, power to change within that algorithm. Mm -hmm. The actual reality of it from a systemic issue, which was a big part in our group conversation Mm -hmm. is not true. And that like just from a mathematic formula that would have actually been applied within an algorithm Mm
3: -hmm.
6: cannot actually be continued, especially not without like, it can't be evolved to meet all of those different needs and to put itself on the same power level or to give you the information. Mm -hmm. And separately from that, us as users, there are many users who would opt out of that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that actually is much more labor and much more work to put yourself in a position Mm -hmm. that would create an equal power dynamic.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it requires a lot of knowledge and expertise, right? And and that creates huge barriers. I think what's interesting, I mean, you know, And just thinking about what people are trying to do, right? That they're trying to get something out of that relationship. That, that they feel that they come away with. And, and you know, what can be done with that is, is something that I think about. So, you know, people saying, well, if it's gonna collect all this information about me, why why can't I at least then get X, Y, and Z out of it? Why can't it make me, you know, a more informed, um, you know, musician or, or uh, music geek as we were talking about in, in group two, right? Why Or why can't it help me then, um, you know, build, stronger connections with this community that i want to be part of just wanting to feel like you can get something out of it quite tangibly um that you're not getting out of it right now is is something that we're seeing at least in in the field of of, um, early signals of
2: Mm -hmm. okay i was just typing notes as well um, so if nobody wants to oh, follow up on this I topic. I has a
1: hand up. And, oh, and okay. yeah. was also talking, but her ah, mic yeah. uh, is not working very well. Oh. My, uh, can you hear me?
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, now now we can. Yes. OK,
5: very quickly. Sorry, Benetrius uh, is I, I just wanted to say at what point, I just want to follow up and say. Uh, it's a problem, it's a question, but at what point in our relationship with an algorithm do we start to ask uh, what it owes to us? Yeah, so I mean, are if, we if, entering into the relationship saying, well, there's going to be balance of power and agency, I'm going to have agency all through? Uh, is, there, is there a reflection of that in something like, oh, I'm not going to use this too much i'm not going to use google home or um alexa too much uh, i'm just going to use it and then it progresses is there some sort of um just a uh, not asking for an answer right away
3: but uh,
4: yeah i rebecca i really like your point of of like um how much is there in, in like this imbalance of power uh, and, and not. But it also made me think of something that happens in my daily life right now where I need legal advice. And I feel I, 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 I'm seeking advice from a lawyer. And of course, this person knows much more about a certain field, right? There's a real like imbalance of power, so to say. But and at the same time, like for me to trust this person, in fact, because I need her, um, I this person is creating trust and become social so that i am willing to well tap into this like knowledge like uh, kind of expertise right that exists out there and i just thought it's kind of a, maybe this is a helpful way also for us to think okay these algorithms they give us access to a lot of power uh or not power but like a lot of knowledge there's a imbalance in power but it's probably something we see in our social relations also and then the question for me would be like what do humans do to kind of establish this like engaging at eye level despite a kind of power imbalance which something maybe that should be replicated then on the algorithmic level for that we kind of continue buying into. one
5: second you've just talked about it, it yes. in at least, can you hear me i'm gonna yes. scream my audio Bow, is yeah. terrible but uh, if you've already talked about how it's replicated in at least one scenario. Talk to me; I'm the expert. Trust me; I'm the expert. Lawyer, Siri, Google Home. Trust this device; it's the
3: expert. At
6: least one way. Rebecca. I I, I would um, I do agree that that is. Um, probably that's a great example about like what it means to have relational building but i will say it is once again not a um fair power exchange for that is equitable because what we're talking about are algorithms that are supposed to be theoretically applied to a larger mass of people in a more equitable framework if we're if we're thinking about it from um i would and this is an assumption, this is an assumption that we're talking about a more ethically based experience that would reach the most people, right? And that is already right now um, economically not viable for many people to reach out to a lawyer. You may have access to one within a company standard. You might have money to pay a lawyer externally to speak with someone. You might have it um, through a union or whatnot, but these are all, um, access points, or those even those just top three access points that I'm thinking of, are definitely not accessible to a vast majority of people that are below a certain socioeconomic in, like you know bracket. So we're talking about uh, once again an inequitable um, action point for some folks. Like the, this is about gatekeeping at that point as well. Like algorithms are gatekeepers, so it's kind of just figuring out like which gate can I actually go up to and have the best entry point.
2: Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I think we can just uh, discuss this even longer, but I also want to give, provide the stage to the other two groups still to just uh, summarize quickly. And then uh, we are completely free to discuss in whatever direction. So group number three was uh, Andrea, Kevin, Nikki, and Simon. Hi,
8: everyone. So going on lists, um, so we were kind of were wondering if you know the whole thing could be designed from scratch. And then, of course, the, the question um, came up um, whether, you know, or where do um, algorithms actually start? Um, so there's a problem of monetization. Who's providing the algorithms? Who's, who's providing the software? and um tying into what makes it understandable uh, or who's providing what there was also the question of you know how do you make the symbolic code understandable so how do you f- look for something that is more idiomatic because if you know that there is a lot of codification going on behind al- algorithms algorithms and there is something that actually generates what we we're seeing you actually see if there is something else that could be done to make algorithms more idiomatic, in the sense that, you know, you make your own vocabulary around it. We have already uh, seen that we already uh, went over that during the presentation of, of, of Marie Curie. Um, another thing is um, that also ties into that is, you know, I think the commons, it, it starts to become a resource in a certain way. And with, uh, with resources, you can also see see how, for instance, it is being distributed. Is a commons possible? Is a lack of that not signaling um, a thing called data poverty? And we haven't seen uh, a, a lot about it. You know, the rise of data poverty in, in um, the first Brock conference that was like two years ago when we couldn't um, organize the event due to COVID. And then there's, of course, controlling the algorithm. And then we're talking more about the sense of controlling algorithm in the sense that you know, you feel that there is an other speaking to you and that other can be something like, you know, gen- like, you know, the, the great uh, identitarian differences that we feel. So it can be another that is marked by ethnicity, by generation, by class, different inflections are possible. And in that sense, um, it is possible to see the algorithm as an, as an other, so to speak. And then within, you know, this interaction, the self is of course the first uh, reference to understanding the algorithm, but, al- but that also means that, you know you need to take the ambivalence into account. And because the self is the first reference of the algorithm, it also means you have to reflect upon yourself and then to see how you can actually make it work and how you're actually playing a game along with it, along the code. The same way you speak a language, for instance. And that kind of sense, you can say, okay, it is maybe incumbent on the anthropologists, you just know, go back and dust off the books that you already have to see the necessary tools for doing anthropology, and that's, that's reflexivity. So how do you reflect upon yourself whilst actually interacting with the algorithm? So in that sense, I think anthropology can actually be very meaningful. But um, team, if any one of you has something to add, please raise your hands.
1: I really enjoyed the discussion that was in in group three Um, and and Nikki, you brought up a a great point, which was um, when people want to know or understand, you know, the algorithm, do they want to know it from a technical standpoint and like the the mathematics behind it? And um, at least, you know, from us talking to people in the context of day-to-day tech research, right? Um, It's, it's, what we have seen is it's less so that and it's more about understanding it from a relational perspective of you know what did i do that led you the algorithm to make a certain decision or act in a certain way um, but you know there might be contexts in which people do want to know more of the technical side of things or or not i can't quite speak to that but at least from from the field work that we've seen it's more in that in that relational sense um but the the conversation i really liked how it explored this idea of like, what are the metaphors and the language that we use to make um, to make it more accessible. Um, and it goes back to, you know, if we see people um, aware of algorithms, increasingly so today and curious about it and wanting to relate to it, it's not always that they're getting it right, right? And, and very rarely so, because it's a very complicated thing to understand. It's inherently opaque, um, but, you know, so the, so the question of how do you make it more understandable truly is I think a really important one. and it's a good like first step to thinking about then, okay, well, then how do you actually make it um, fairer or how do you make it um, you know one where you have more agency? It, it starts with like do you even understand it first? Um, so that's why I quite quite like the discussion.
0: I'd like to add on to my questions. another uh, some other ones that maybe we can discuss later is. One is, what do people um, equate algorithm with? algorithms with? Do they have like a metaphor? Is it a service, a machine, a person? Or what, what is it, and how do they interact? And the other one is, um, do they have a concept, or do they try to understand the algorithm's <laughs> motivation? Or is it just, do they just want to manipulate it to understand how the, their own manipulation works, or do they want to understand how the like algorithm intrinsically works? Yeah.
2: Thanks. Interesting. Very interesting wording that you chose, Nikki. For you know, i looking to understand the algorithm's motivation. Like you know, if, does the algorithm itself already have a motivation, or who, where does it come from? If if not, right? So this is, I think, is a very interesting conversation where I, I think I can jump in with one of the questions that I prepared for for you Maria as well um you you know you said also before that that um, your insights and your talk that you gave today was based on uh, observations right and um, I know that the dread is also in partnership with cognizant or cognizant um, so I wondered have you also worked with engineers and developers that actually built these algorithms because um, on the one hand, I mean, I've met those kind of engineers that are deeply convinced that they can explain, analyze, predict um, any kind of human behavior. Um, quote, it's all just data science, right? It's all, always it's just data science. Um, so I think there is this entire issue where people are like developers are super convinced that they can do this. But I also think on the other hand, it's actually really hard to build a proper algorithm that is good, right? To just get there. I think is really hard, and now if we think about the fact that I've that probably like most of the algorithms, like feed algorithms and so on, TikTok, Instagram, Netflix, and so on, are actually based on I'd say rather simple formulas compared to the complexity that we have in human decision making. Right? Um, yeah, I was just thinking, how, how, what kind of insights did you get from observing or working with those kind of people? If you did, on how social scientists could potentially contribute to this entire process.
1: Yeah. So two examples um, come to mind I, for the projects that I've been on. Um, it it happens where the one of the end clients, um, oftentimes you know, for, for a tech project, it will be the research team, the research unit, but then it will also be um, other teams, one of which might be, let's say product marketing, right? So to, to how do we get the story clear for users so that they feel a real need, but then increasingly so in tech projects, it's actually engineers. Um, so product engineers, developers who, um, you know, we need to come back with human insights that are actually relevant for those teams. Um, and uh, we, one example is around, products that are already built and are already out there, right? Um, And it's this question of what is the user experience on those platforms today? And oftentimes it happens in the question of like navigability of a platform or of a service. How do you know how to find your way around? Um, How do you know um, kind of, uh, yeah, how to, you know, find the things that you intend to do or find new things that you didn't intend uh, to get out of a platform. And increasingly, that's sort of shaped by um, the, the algorithms that are fueling the experiences on the platform. And so we might have implications for sort of how do you um, make that clearer to people? Um, you know, some projects are actually about technologies that don't even exist yet. So it's, you know, how do we build a new, let's say, um, uh, virtual reality system or a new augmented reality system um or you know for those for those types of projects we're starting with a little bit more of a blank slate of saying these are the types of um, relationships between the user and the technology that will be socially acceptable to them these are the table stakes that you need to have in order to create feelings of trust or um you know you Perhaps the engineers have the ambition to make a product, let's say a, an, a, an assistive device that your, your own personal assistant that follows you throughout the day, and they want it to be really helpful to people and they're like oh this you know can collect all sorts of information about you um, but what what types of information is the relevant type of information for it to collect to actually be able to offer up something useful um, so that's kind of how I I've, I've encountered it um, in on our projects sometimes it's about The product already exists and it's creating, you know, some confusion or the wrong relationships between the user and the product. And in some instances, the product doesn't even exist yet. And it's about like, how do you even set that up in ideally the right ways and coming in and being able to say, well, these things just won't fly with people. Um, It's not going to be a good relationship that you're going to create with them um, or not, as I think those are the most interesting ones for me.
2: Very interesting that you talk about relationship and experiences and also UX and so on, because from what I've heard you saying now, it it reminded me also on the project that I had with data scientists, um, the few that I had so far. And and what I realized there is, is also what you said, right? You can, I think often data scientists come into a project and they say, okay, let's build this algorithm based on... Those two, three data points that will give us predictions or recommendations and whatsoever, right? So, I think if we anthropologists come in and we actually explore the context and all the possible variables that are out there that we could consider, just opening up this field of possibility for them and then telling them, you know, where I think you have other options than those three predictors, let's say, like, I don't know, income and gender and whatever, right? So, Um, Yeah, yeah. maybe
1: there's a whole other proxy that exists out in the world for what it is that you want to measure um, that hasn't even been thought about. But because you haven't thought about it and you haven't included that, um, you might actually create unintended, um, you know, biases or you might miss out on a whole group of people. Um, There are all all kinds of, um, you know, unintended consequences to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, great, great point. So I think it's about opening up, showing the possibilities, but also kind of being a reality check, quality check, right? Is this actually, um, is this actually a good way to go? Okay, so um, unless somebody wants to jump in here right now, there's still one group that we have not heard about from yet, and we still have about ten minutes. As I said, the discussion is always taking longer than we expect, so which is good, right? Um, I, I lost my list somehow who knows who's group four? I mean, you know it yourself. who hasn't talked so far?
0: Well, I, I got nominated for group four. So I'm going to try and sum up all the wonderful nuanced thoughts we had. I'm sorry if it's not as beautiful as what people laid out. Um, but I think we first started with the, the question, can people create productive two-way relationships? And we said, yes, but it's going to take a lot. And uh, the first thing we had was the issue with the power is disproportionately uh, allocated. And we've all talked about this already, so I won't belabor that point too much more. Um, but the, that power differentiation, we need to think about issues of consent and being able to retract consent, and not just wholly, but granularly. And over time with different kinds of consent relationships and the role of knowledge and education and time and access are all parts of that power relationship. Um, We also talked about in terms of communication and education about algorithms and how what we know shapes our relationship to them, Uh, like how algorithms are not perfect. And often we think that they may be when we're a user that, you know, that if I was talking about, for example, this TikTok trend of how people are complaining about what TikTok is showing them, and then other people are saying, hey, that says more about you than it does about the algorithm, because it's what you're watching that feeds in, not thinking about how that algorithm is not necessarily perfect. Um, but then the other thing we talked about was, uh, if we could get past those issues, uh, what, how could we create that two-way relationship? And One of the things we were talking about is that expectation part. And I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the data being conceived of as a user, but that a user is not a person, that people have multiple selves and in multiple contexts, and that that data and that user bucket does not translate to those multiple selves but then also a user is also relational. So not just with the algorithm, but with the people in our lives. So the user might be a mother with a child or a father with a child. And so like their Spotify listening will be filled with kids music, even though it's in their user bucket, that really represents their relationship with that child, not necessarily within themselves. Um, I think those are most of the big ones, but maybe if some of the other group members want to chime in with stuff I Mixed.
9: Yes, I would also add that I mean, since I have been working in the finance industry, I'm actually doing some algorithms, and actually, I'm an engineer, and I'm an anthropologist. I I can say about both things. I think that also people who are actually doing algorithms are not are are they they have biases. I mean, we all have biases, and also. Uh, it just as, as we also love to how to see how some predictions that we are making are just beautiful, let's say. It's also the same with anthropologists because uh, it's just the kind of inputs that we have that we want to predict what what they are what people are going to say, and also the, it's it's also very challenging because I would say that you I mean we as a society I mean we don't have to think about more uh, about disciplines, but as a society, we have to work with the people doing these algorithms to actually understand what are their biases. But also we have to work with people uh, as users because we need to actually understand what are those algorithms. And I think a lot of people are afraid of algorithms because they they think they are just mathematics. And uh, there's also this big misconception about Mathematics are so hard and they whatever. And also, I, I would also add, like to add about all the metaphors that you were saying. I I was watching, uh, I don't know, something about the uh, Deutsche Welle, I think. And they were saying something very interesting, that uh, uh, public information data, it's another infrastructure, just as roads, just as pavement, and so on. and. I was also looking at another document a documentary, and they were saying that we also have the I mean we we let cars uh, uh, be uh, the rulers of cities. Like ninety percent of all the roads are made for cars, which is just insane. And this is going to be, I mean I, I would like to say this is exactly the same thing that is that can happen with the with data. If we don't do anything about it, it's going to be at the same, like Google, uh, Amazon and all these kind of big players are going to take 90% of the data. So we are people, I mean, we as people, we have to actually uh, make those things. And also because I know people working with this industry, within these industries, and they are just like people that just like you and me, they are not like different people. They have the same concerns, they have the same problems. So we have to stop, uh, dividing like things about uh, they and us because we are the same thing, the same people and that's that's the thing that I that I was just wanted to say. Uh, and something else that also I need to I think we would be it would be very helpful to actually give these kind of classes in grammar school for instance to understand to the to the children to understand how algorithms are the new blackboards or are the new notebooks. So they n- know how to actually make writings on, this, on these algorithms.
8: And another thing that I would like to add is, um, well, one thing is predictions and how they try to second guess what, what will be the flip side of that is the all the nudging. And I think this discussion has mostly been about, okay, how can the machine algorithm uh, learn who we are and what kind of circumstances we come from, but really uh, they, the algorithm accepts that it can't do that. So it tries to fit us into a box where we not, didn't actually uh, fit. So uh, I think that's also part of the uh, imbalance, uh, power imbalance between us and the algorithms. Sorry, I just want to quickly point
3: out
5: if somebody's raised their hand, I've back, I kind of uh, am I saying this right? Terioska, is this, have I pronounced your name right? Great. Um, but uh, the example you gave about cars, it ties in so beautifully with what group one talked about because cars have the right of road because of, I mean, it's a practice that carried on from like, you know, It, it it's a result of, colonial companies coming in and establishing right of road because they had cars and they established railroads, etc. And so the thing that Rebecca and group one discussed, it actually ties in beautifully with that. I just wanted to point that out.
3: Uh, Bye
2: bye, Sarah, yes, so we are reaching nearly the end of this uh, session, we have two more raised hands, so uh, I don't know who wants to start first, I think Simon had it up first, but it doesn't matter.
8: Um, Yes, many thanks um, for, let me just see if I can just unraise my hand, okay, never mind. Um, Yeah, we've come across many typologies and just tying into the discussion of, you know, how to Find a good way to converse with algorithms. There is just this one thing that I'm wondering that I'm wondering about is how do we best typify the algorithm? How do we best typify the other that we're conversing with? Um, the ones that I that I came across is you know the monster. We we created technology technological monster. We have created a river. Um, the algorithm being the river flow, so the water. We being the river bed. And the other one that I really liked in this talk is the uh, the silent butler. That was a very good one. But then I asked bounce the question back to uh, Marie Curie. Which of those do you think is the most effective in both analysis and understanding?
1: Yeah, I I almost wonder if it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve for, right? Like if it's about actually initially making, building the algorithm and thinking through like who has, and then thinking about like the ethical questions of who has access to the data, um, then I think that the uh, infrastructure question of, you know, it's it's like, like public roads is super thought provoking for that because it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't have to be that the Amazon trucks use the roads without, Helping pay for the roads. Like that's a construct that we create and we can change. Um, and then if we think about uh, the uh the, the relationship in the moment between a person um, who is a user in that moment of a technology um, and the content that's being generated to them, then something like, you know. The butler metaphor, something that's a little bit more human, I think, can be helpful in thinking about the, ex- the experience. Like, should the butler be silent? Should the butler even be a butler? Those types of questions. I think they're all really helpful. Um, they're all really helpful metaphors for thinking through different aspects of the of the problem. You know, with uh, the the river that then is about. Well, how do we change these things over time? It's it's very slow, and it's like moment by moment interaction by interaction. So, yeah. i've jotted down all the metaphors (laughs) because they're so helpful
8: okay so there's no catch-all metaphor
1: i don't think so no no. yeah i think it's based on the aspect of the really complicated Mm. problem yeah Mm
3: -hmm.
8: okay i guess i will stick to the monster then (laughs) (laughs) all right rebecca
2: do you want to follow up on the monster
6: i know that i more appreciate people sticking to time and respecting that, so this is a great conversation that we can move on to another time.
2: All right guys, thank you so much, Uh, it was a super cool event again, thank you, Uh, thanks a lot Maria for the inspiring and thought -thought provoking um, impulse. Uh, As I said, this was recorded. We will publish it at some point. Uh, We are still working on our speed with publications, but this is going to happen at some point. Um, Yeah, so thank you, everybody. And uh, I hope to see you soon in one of the next impulses or events from the Applied Anthropology Network. Um, if you have any questions to Maria, I'm sure you can follow up somehow, Maria, maybe you want to leave your LinkedIn or something in the chat. Yeah,
1: I'll leave my, uh, my LinkedIn uh, and my email address. In the
2: so chat. with that so last word to Maria, as always, the speaker gets the last word.
1: Ah, I was just going to say, thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you all for the really thought provoking discussion that's come out of this. Uh, I've learned a lot too. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for watching or listening. And don't miss the next episode of IASA's Applied Anthropology Network's Apply Club events.